Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curve, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curve. Thanks for that, Polly. Well, keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight, we've got my panel, uh, David Curtin, who's the leader of the Heritage Party, and the political commentator, Joe Phillips. Good evening to both of you. Uh, Joe Phillips has already told me tonight that she thinks uh, I look like a fruit chew no, today. They were called fruit salads. That they were chews. I bet some of the viewers were. Fruit salads? Them. They were sweet. Fruit salads, yeah. They were little chews that you could get with your pocket money, which we're coming on to later, I know. I do actually think I know what you mean because. They were stripey. Whether it, were they the same as um, a little blackjack one that you got a blackjack and a fruit salad? Oh, I don't know. You might have done where you. Are we? You, I don't know. But they're in the same sort of yes, they're in the same sort of confectionery area. Oh well, there you go. There is nothing more flattering, ladies and gentlemen, than being told you look like uh, a sticky, sugary uh, bit of junk. But I'll take it as a compliment, <laughs> Joe Phillips. I'll take it as a compliment. Uh, normally, it's my viewers writing in and saying what they think I'm dressed like, and normally it's either a duvet or my nana's curtains or something nice. so a fruit chew is uh, a compliment it's a step up i'm going up in the right direction anyway i'll take it right you know the drill on jubes and co as well don't you it's not just about us uh, and our thoughts it's about you at home as well what's on your mind tonight you can get in touch gbviews at gbnews.uk is the email address you can tweet me at gbnews or at michelle jubes uh, some of you guys have been in touch already just a quick reminder in case you've just tuned in i want to talk to you about parliament should it be reconvened to come up with a plan or is being on summer recess okay i also want to talk about hate crime awareness courses are they needed should they be a thing and also how do we get work ethic into kids it's difficult isn't it the work uh, it's not there what we used to do uh, newspaper rounds saturday jobs they're all uh, but a thing of the past now aren't they so you tell me how do we make youngsters learn how to graft do they even need to graft or can they just sit in the front of the computers all day long for the future you tell me um, you've been getting in touch already. It was Gordon Brown that was saying maybe we should reconvene Parliament, uh, Pete says. Uh, Gordon Brown sold off about a third of our gold at a record low price. I don't think we should be taking advice for him uh, on anything. There you go, that's what Peter says. Doesn't, want, doesn't agree with Gordon Brown there at all. Um, in fact, actually, as I'm scrolling through, I think it's safe to say that most of you don't either. John says Gordon should get back in his box. Did he recall Parliament when he ran out of money or during the Iraq war? John doesn't think so. Uh, Elizabeth says Gordon Brown is just trying to distract attention from the inflation that his reformed Bank of England created. Uh, so, in a nutshell, I could go on, but you get the gist. Uh, none of you lot are having much of what Gordon Brown says. Why am I talking about it? Well, because there's still 28 days to go before the new Prime Minister takes office. And, said Gordon Brown, uh, has been speaking out today about tackling the cost of living crisis, etc. He's saying it simply can't wait that long. He reckons the leadership candidates need to call a Cobra meeting now or recall Parliament. Apparently, there's no time to lose or people will go hungry and cold this winter. Joe Phillips. I mean, it's undeniable, isn't it, that we are in, some would say, a crisis moment uh, in this yeah, country. Yeah, absolutely. 
Do you think it's right, therefore, <clears throat> that Parliament should be in summer recess? Um, I don't think there is much to be gained by recalling Parliament, but I do think it would be quite nice and quite reassuring if there was some evidence of some government activity going on. Boris Johnson, uh, the Conservative Party or the Tory MPs, allowed him to stay on as Prime Minister and he promised he was going to carry on doing the right thing until he handed over to his successor. Clearly, that's not the case. He's been on holiday. The Chancellor's been on holiday. Liz Truss and um, Rishi Sunak are too busy out on the campaign trail. Meanwhile, everything has come to a grinding halt. And one of the points that Gordon Brown made was that if you are going to introduce a change to benefits um, that kick in in October, you need to get the computers um, and all of that system in place now. You can't wait until September. I mean, there are things that could be done, and certainly Rishi Sunak and uh, Liz Truss and the Prime Minister and the Chancellor could be sitting down and saying, right, these are the things that are possible. This is what you would need to do, whichever one of you becomes Prime Minister. The government at the moment can't make any new policy, but it can start putting some things in place, because I think people are beginning to get extremely frightened. Um, we know there's a new uh, energy price cap in October. We've seen what the Bank of England said about inflation. And I think Gordon Brown is absolutely right. You know, it's hard to think of it while the sun is beating down on this and we've got another heat wave alert. But I think come the winter when people are really thinking about how to heat their homes, um, it's going to be very tough for people. Yeah, just a, a small point to pick up on there. I did notice Gordon Brown was talking about IT changes. Um, but we must also remember that Labour actually presided over probably the worst uh, IT system failure in history. It cost the taxpayers about £10, £12 billion. Pounds. So I would actually take what Gordon Brown says uh, about IT stuff with a pinch of salt. Uh, but that notwithstanding, where do you stand on it? Should Parliament be back? No, I think Gordon Brown is just grandstanding. I mean, but he doesn't really have anything to say uh, in offering solutions to the crisis. Uh, clearly, there is an inflation crisis at the moment. But, I mean, him, uh, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss, not, none of them have got solutions, but none of them are actually being honest and telling us why we have the crisis. So there's three reasons. One is the obsession with net zero and trying to dismantle our perfectly good energy infrastructure and rely on wind turbines and solar panels to provide energy. It's simply not going to happen. And that's, you know, <laughs> raising the price of energy. It's going through the roof. Uh, the other thing is the lockdown, uh, and that wasted £400 billion. Rishi Sunak is responsible for that. So, yeah, he's talking about cutting inflation in the future, but he's the one who's responsible for creating the inflation now, or a big part of it, because he's increased the money supply by 25%. So that is going to feed through into inflation. Nothing we can really do about that. Um, and the other thing is the obsession with prolonging the war with Ukraine, which was, um, sorry, with Russia in Ukraine, uh, which was completely avoidable. And that, of course, is having knock-on effects uh, with the price of energy as well, because there's less Russian gas. So what would you to, do, David? To, if I just, just finish for just a minute. Uh, so there's less Russian gas coming through into Europe, which means there's more of a demand for uh, gas, which we would have. So that's going to push up the prices more. So um, two things we 
can do, uh, stop the war with Russia, de-escalate, sit round the table, uh, end the situation, get back to normal relations, and then we're going to have that pressure taken off our energy prices, and then abandon the whole net zero nonsense, which we don't need, because carbon dioxide is not a harmful gas, and the whole of this net zero ideology is based around the premise that carbon dioxide is going to harm the planet when it's not. We don't need it. Well, there's a lot of scientists that would absolutely disagree with you, and if I had a climate scientist on here now, they'd be probably jumping out their yeah. chair in I'd, rage. I'd saying love that to you... talk to a climate scientist. Well, um, a lot of my viewers would agree with what you're saying about um, pressing, certainly pressing pause on net zero. Um, but it, it, we do all have to be clear, this was in the 2019 Tory manifesto. So everyone that voted the Tories in, they did actually vote for that. Um, yeah, well, I think the reason that pe people voted for Tor the Tories and Boris was because of his mantra, his three-word mantra, get Brexit done. And probably most people didn't read the 50 or 100-page manifesto, which was in there, but they never really mentioned it up front. So, you know, unfortunately, you do have to read all the small print in the manifesto. So it was there, absolutely. But I don't agree with it. I didn't vote for them. And I think now uh, people voted for that, get Brexit done. But now we've got this net zero horror, which is pushing energy prices and inflation through the roof. How can you say that when there are, you know, we are in a climate catastrophe? We are not in a climate well, catastrophe. Well, I'm sorry, There David. is no climate really? crisis. Absolutely, what? there so is the no floods... climate emergency. Well, there's always been floods. I mean, there was a massive, not like there was a massive there flood in now. 1953, which wiped out the centre yes, of I London know. and Canby Island. Skated, we haven't had anything like people that. People skated on the Thames. Look, look, you know. I don't deny that the, the temperatures have gone up over the last two. And why have the years. temperatures gone up? Well, look, temperatures have gone up since the start of the Industrial Revolution. Absolutely, from 14.0 degrees Celsius mm -hmm. to 14.7 degrees Celsius. Not a very big rise Everybody, over 250 every years. Everybody, every single. That's after the end of the mini ice age where temperatures were especially low anyway. So um, now there is no climate emergency, but we're actually damaging the environment for the climate ideology. For example, Drax has stopped burning coal, but they're now cutting down trees in North America and they're shipping across uh, wood pellets to burn instead of coal, which is harming the environment on the other side of the world. We don't need to do that. We should, like, stick to coal, oil, gas, nuclear, petrol and diesel. But every leading and that's scientific alleviate... body in the world says we are facing a climate emergency, the ozone layer is, uh, has got holes in it, it's perforated like a hanging chad in an American election, glaciers are melting, ice shelves are melting, we are seeing huge changes in climate that can't put, be put down well, ozone... to one-off. Let me finish, I did let you speak, um, but I'm beginning to think that this sort of, you know, to say we've got efficient, uh, uh, or whatever you said, very good um, energy infrastructure, we clearly haven't because we're dependent on imported gas. Yeah, that's because the government, and since 2015, has closed 11 of our 14 coal power stations. So there is now a black hole so in our energy have, supply. So we don't have an efficient energy Well, we, we would do if they hadn't have closed the coal power stations because of the climate. Do you think that was the wrong the decision, closing Absolutely, the Absolutely, it was the wrong decision. We should have kept them open. Then we would have had uh, a, a sustainable, uh, you know, le level supply of energy. We'd have had enough energy but to do you supply not, us. So what Joe was pointing out, and 
and I was pointing out as well, is that there are a great number of client scientists, etc., mm. that would strongly disagree with you, mm. that would say whether it's sea levels rising, whether it's temperatures rising, whether it's whatever rising, they would say that we're absolutely in a climate emergency and that all these measures, net zero, some people would actually say, by the way, that the target for net zero should be done quicker. We should be pushing to achieve it quicker than what we currently are, fast-forwarding things. And you don't care about that. You would uh, dispute all of that. It's not that I don't care about it. It's just I think it's wrong. It's but, wrong but David, scientifically. are you a scientist? Yes, I am a scientist. And so what is your research based on? Because well, I, let, let I mean, you are beginning you, you to sound a little a bit like things. a flat-earth earth no, person. You mentioned a couple of things. I mean, you mentioned the ozone layer, but that's a different problem to carbon dioxide, OK? There is a problem with the uh, ozone layer deficiency over the Antarctic <laughs> area, and then the, uh, but that's sort of healing itself. But that's not carbon dioxide. I do not accept the premise that carbon dioxide is harmful and it's going to warm the why? atmosphere uh, much more than it already why is. Why don't you accept it when it... Well, when there's it four is... molecules of carbon dioxide per 10,000 molecules in the atmosphere. OK, it's increased by... Um, <laughs> it's increased from three to four molecules over the last 100 years or so. But it hasn't caused excessive warming. There's a trend over the last 250 years, as I've said, temperatures have gone up 0.7 degrees after uh, the mini ice age, and that was after the medieval warm period, where temperatures were much warmer than they are today. See, I, I mean, I find this verging on the dangerous, this sort of theory, it's... because we are facing a crisis, and unless we do something about it, we will get to the point where we can't do anything about it. What would it. you say to one of my viewers, June, has just written in saying, um, uh, Joe is saying that all of the scientists agree, etc., but Joe's saying often a lot of the scientists that disagree are censored. So the only people well, that we tend to hear about are the opinions that collectively agree because anyone that dare have a different view is shunned, I don't, censored... I mean, I don't think that's true, Michelle, well, and I think... Shouldn't agree I, with you, June. I, well, I think, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, I don't hear the view that I subscribe to, so therefore it's because it's censored. I mean, that is also going down the route of sort of bonkers conspiracy. But, no, it, it oh, is, hang on, hang on, I need to challenge that. Censored. Are you telling me that you think that people's uh, opinions are not censored if they don't fit in with what has been described as the acceptable yeah. narrative? No, I don't, I don't agree with that. You don't think that views are just... censored? Are you serious? You're not serious. I'm looking at your face to see whether or not you, you're actually serious. There, there are always, and there have been, almost to a, a fault, I would say, there have always been, and certainly with um, other broadcasters, the BBC particularly, maybe not so much in the, in the uh, print media, but there have always been um, the attempt to balance, not with just sceptics, but with science, um, to say, no, this isn't true or this is another thing. You know, the point that's David making. I don't think those views are censored. But I do think it's extremely dangerous because we are... And the other thing that I'd like to pick up on what David says is that, like, stop the war in Ukraine. So what would you do? Have the Ukrainians just roll over and say OK to Putin? Well, I need to answer your first questions about climate change and censorship You're not first. a climate scientist, though. I, I do need to point that out. Well, I, I have a degree in chemistry, so but I do know a lot a about the rele yeah, but relevant you're not a science. Climate scientist. But if I can answer your point about censorship, in the 90s, the BBC, which you mentioned, had two eminent scientists, environmentalists on there, David Attenborough, and David Bellamy. Now, David Attenborough became very much a climate alarmist. David Bellamy uh, said that this is ridiculous. This is not... There's nothing to worry about. Carbon dioxide is not harmful. There is no climate emergency. David Bellamy was totally censored. You didn't see anything much from him from the 90s onwards, but David Attenborough was allowed to go through and was elevated.
related. So you do have that censorship if people have the wrong opinion on climate, <laughs> on the climate well, alarm. As long as you don't so. think um, censorship happens, like a minute ago, you called um, David a flat airfer. And I even think going down that route, it's kind of what you're trying to say is because he has a different view to you, he's basically some kind of nutter. Okay, well. And you said conspiracy theorist and you said dangerous, these kind of smear words. Um, well, we'll get on to hate speech in a minute. There are conspiracy theorists around, and some of those conspiracy theorists, and the point I was making is that there are a number of people who think that if their view, as I said, the view that they subscribe to is not given as much airtime or as much space as they would like, they think it's censored. I don't agree with that. We have very strict broadcasting rules in this country, as we all know, as you do, Michelle, as a professional broadcaster. It is not the same um, for newspapers. There are different sort of guidelines. And I would actually argue that um, the climate emergency has had probably less sensible coverage than it might have done. And I think that part of the problem is because some of it has been rather alarmist. Um, and so it hasn't been a sort of a, a measured conversation. But I do not think there is censorship about against people who can, um, with all validity and science, back up their view that may be contrary to the view of the majority. Well, well, I... did you think, do you think there was censorship, for example, during COVID? different topic but similar principle. Do you think people that had a view that didn't fit the approved narrative were censored? No. See, I find that absolutely astonishing. No. I mean, I... You don't think, like, people like... The, the people that had the view of the Great Barrington Declaration, which was basically an alternate strategy for lockdown, for those that don't know, they didn't really agree with mass lockdown. Uh, it was protection of the vulnerable they were into. You don't think that people like Robert Malone, who, used to, who was one of the mRNA uh, vaccine creators, he was shut down. You don't think that there was censorship? I don't think there was censorship. I think, you know, anybody who is an editor um, and your colleagues out there will know you have to weigh up. And, you know, COVID was a public health emergency. Does that mean there's only one view that's No, allowed? it doesn't. But it does mean that the information that you put out to the public at if you're the government and you are using the channels that you've got, whether they're posters, um, adverts or whatever, you do need to be absolutely clear, having made the decision that, you know, washing your hands, wearing a mask, whatever, whatever, um, is supported. You, that's not the same as censorship. I mean, there was an awful lot of uh, sort of uh, people who didn't agree with it, who didn't agree with the vaccine. What, visible? Visible in so. this public? Come on. Well, I in think so. In this literature, the censorship, what happened with COVID, uh, was, I would find, say, it was a disgrace. It was absolutely disgraceful. And actually, a lot of what we saw was akin to some form of propaganda. The only messages that were allowed platforms, the only voices that were allowed platforms, were people that agreed with a narrative that was a decided and pre-approved narrative. If you tried to write anything on social media, you would have warnings slapped onto your purse. Often people were... From uh, whom? The, the social media platforms, social media platforms. If you tried to write anything, I don't know, even say about the vaccine creating uh, harm to whoever it was. In fact, I'll give you a good example. One of the ladies uh, that had it confirmed that she had... I don't know how I've gone to this subject, by the way, when I'm talking about <coughs> Parliament uh, reconvening, but it's an interesting conversation we're having, I think, so we'll let it go. One of the ladies that had doctor-confirmed uh, vaccine side effects, she posted a video on her Instagram with her legs shaking, 
Instagram banned her account? Well, uh, you see, I find that astonishing. Do you because, find it censorship? Uh, it is censorship, if that's indeed what happened. It is indeed what happened. Um, but I find that astonishing, given social media platforms are so slow to crack down on things about children, you know, self-harming, uh, suicide uh, videos and that sort of thing. And I find it astonishing that Instagram were that quick to well, come down on ladies that. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm not actually sure what we achieved in terms of... Uh, do we think Parliament should be reconvened? I think we said no on that. No, no, no. no. That doesn't need no we so, think there's no point. Right, so that's what we got there. The but we do need we government. To, on the topic in hand was that, no, the question was, does, should Parliament be uh, reconvened? The answer from the two panellists was no. Got there in the end. Uh, my answer to that, by the way, would be yes. I absolutely... I think it's an absolute odd disgrace that the country is in this situation with seeming crisis absolutely everywhere, but our elected officials are not in their place of work. I can't imagine any other workforce where you'd have complete catastrophe on your watch and your CEO, your CFO and all the rest of it would be off on holiday. You'd be in trouble uh, if that was a business. Uh, anyway, so we got there in the end. No, uh, the panellists don't think Parliament should be reconvened. We agree. Joe doesn't even think there's censorship. Um, which I just think you must I'm have not, been living in a... No, I'm not saying there is no censorship. She did. We've got it on tape. No, I'm sure she said uh, there was no censorship. No, I'm not saying there it's is no censorship. censorship ever. What I'm saying is that the people think that censorship is the reason that the views that they support don't get a, the same equivalent coverage. Well, there you go. Uh, David saying. is saying uh, there's no climate emergency. Joe thinks that he is a flat earther. And that's where we got to in part one of Jubes and Kerr. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes and Co with me, Michelle Jubery, keeping me company until seven o'clock tonight. We've got the leader of the Heritage Party, David Curtin, and the political commentator, Joe Phillips. Lots of people uh, crossed with Joe Phillips tonight, I can tell you. Um, lots of people actually are questioning whether or not there is a climate emergency. Um, Joe is having none of it. She says there absolutely is and that we should be acting. David is having none of that. So saying it's all a little bit alarmist. Um, let me know, by the way, where do you stand in terms of the parliament being recalled to deal with some of the issues? One of my viewers makes a good point. He's saying, why? Who is it? David? No, it's not David. Uh, David, your email was the one about a fruit salad, which um, I'm not going to read out at uh, <laughs> tea time. So, yes, I'd flag that. I did see it, but I'm not going to be reading that out. Another David, a different David, um, said, why has no one been talking about recalling uh, Parliament when it uh, comes to dealing with the Channel Crossing uh, crisis? Surely that should have been the focus of many, only now, uh, when it's things like inflation and tax, are they saying it? There you go. Well, you know Gordon Brown's views, don't you, on immigration? I, I mentioned it, didn't I, at the start of the programme? He was the one. Do you remember he got in his car and Gillian Duffy had said something about immigration and he got in his car and called her a bigot? Do you remember that? I remember, yeah. yeah. I remember that very well, actually, and I think that was a very illuminating uh, slip, a little slip of a comment there that really showed a lot of people's um, uh, perspectives in terms of if anyone dares to complain about immigration... How dare you? That's the view, or was the view, certainly, of many politicians. I think it was the. It was certainly a demonstration of always assume your microphone is on and always assume that whatever you say, somebody will have picked it up if you're a politician. <laughs> mm, never go to the toilet wearing a microphone either. Oh, no, don't. Have you ever seen Naked Gun? Is it Naked Gun 33 and a third when he goes to the toilet? No? Everyone's, no? everyone's looking at me blankly, but I'm sure that I'm talking sex. Let's I'm leave. sure... <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's leave it. People are eating the tea out there. They don't need my uh, no, toilet they're, story. They're looking at their fruit chews. Yes, fruit chews. That's what Joe was saying that I was come dressed as. It's summer. 
I think I've come summer. like summer. a ray of summer yes. today. Uh, right, so shall I get myself back on track and talk about what I'm supposed to be doing tonight then? Uh, Hampshire police have scrapped a hate crime awareness course. The force were accused of policing free speech rather than real crime after a controversy involving an army veteran. You might have seen this one. This was the one uh, that was live streamed on the internet. He was arrested for retweeting a meme. That's basically a picture for those uh, that are wondering what I'm talking about. It was. Basically, uh, it was some flags that was put together in the shape of a swastika. Uh, the police were not amused by that. Apparently, it caused anxiety to someone with that tweet. Uh, and it was all live, uh, live streamed. I think there was about five police there, and it went absolutely viral. Anyway, the police have now scrapped, or that, that force has now scrapped that course. Uh, a lot of campaigners are really happy, saying it's been a victory over work crime, and that police should get back to tackling real crime. David, where do you stand on it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm shocked that they had this hate crime awareness course in the first place, but I don't think this is just Hampshire. It seems to be something going on all over the country with all police forces. But I think we were all shocked at seeing this poor army veteran who'd done nothing more than tweet a picture or retweet a picture. Um, and then they came round and arrested him and then wanted to send him on a course, a re-education course. I mean, this is the sort of thing you expect to happen in China or the old Soviet Union, not in England, in Hampshire. You know, you should have free speech. And this is... Someone apparently complained that they were offended by what he said. Well, you know, people can get offended all the time. It shouldn't be a crime to be offended by something, but this does come down to the Communications Act, 2003, Section 127, which says if someone considers something to be grossly offensive, then it's a crime. But the question is, what's the line between offensive and grossly offensive? Because we've seen other things which I would call grossly offensive, where people have just been let off with, a, with nothing. You know, there was... So what, what's the line in terms of what should be an offence and what shouldn't in your mind? You're saying offensive and grossly mm. offensive. Should being offensive be a crime? No, it shouldn't be a crime. I mean, I think you should have the free speech to say whatever you like, provided you are not... Um, um, incentivizing violence, you know, inciting violence. Uh, that should be where the line is. But, you know, you, you, this kind of thing, that the picture that he retweeted, uh, it was, a, you know, what's it, some pride flags in the shape of a swastika. I mean, that, yeah, it's offensive to some people. Other people find it funny. But he's not inciting violence. So this is something the police should have nothing to do with. It's a waste of police time. And, frankly, the police should be out catching real criminals, fraudsters and burglars and people who do a assault and murderers and rapists and things like that. Chair Phillips, do you agree? Um, there are only three forces, apparently. Uh, not, it's not as widespread as we might think. Um, this two-hour educational session. I mean, when you um, get caught for speeding, you are offered the choice of going on a speed awareness course, which is a completely different thing. You know, if you're doing 35 miles an hour and a 30 mile an hour limit, there's no argument. You know, you've been clocked, you can avoid getting the points on your licence. I'm not entirely sure what the purpose of this was and who was going to judge if it had been successful. Um, the uh, current um, Police and Crime Commissioner said that she was ending the contract with this company, but she'd inherited it, um, inherited a restorative justice contract. I mean, it, it's always very difficult when you go down the route of free speech because one person's free speech is another person's... Um, offence. Uh, you know, one person's censorship is another person's um, protection, if you like. And I do think we all should be mindful, particularly with social media, of the stuff that is perhaps 
not appropriate. Doesn't mean to say that you should call the police about it, um, but I think we need to be a little bit braver about calling out people, particularly in the workplace, and particularly men. Um, you know, they always go, oh, it was a little bit of banter. It didn't mean anything. Well, it does, actually, and it becomes quite corrosive and quite pernicious if you get sexist banter, in the same way as if you get homophobic banter. You know, and it's quite difficult for people to sometimes say, look, I just find this really offensive. Um, and I do think we need to be a little bit more tolerant of the people who find it offensive um, and not just say, I've got the right to say what I like, you're just a snowflake if you're offended. But I don't think the police should be involved. You're talking about the workplace, which is different to this case, which was on social media. So I think on social media, if you don't like something or you feel you might be offended by something, just switch it off. You don't have to be on social media. Well, you don't have to look at certain people. But then that goes media. back to the you know, point and, that Michelle and... was making about Instagram apparently taking off the... Um... Do you think you've got the right not to be offended in life? No, I don't. I mean, you know, there's always somebody who's going to be offended by something. Um, and what offends me might not offend you, might not offend David. I mean, you know, personally, I get incredibly offended by little outs. And do frankly, you? I would like to do terrible things to them. I don't like littering. Mm. And I just said, but why would you litter? Why, Why would you would be you? so burn-idle yeah. that you can't and, even pick you know, up your own rubbish and put it in a bin? Like most women, and women of a certain age, you know, if you challenge people about something like that, you get a mouthful of abuse, and it's quite often sexualised abuse, and it's quite often threatening and unpleasant, but I wouldn't dream of going to the police about it. Well, in this day and age as well, I think, because um, I've confronted people about litter before, in this day and age, you've got to be a bit careful, because actually you can get... You're in danger of getting slightly more than just a, mm. a mouthful yeah. these days. Yeah. Um, but, you see, it makes me reflect more broadly on the police, the role of the police and the perception of the police does this kind of hate thing. I mean, I saw some images from the weekend, I think I've got some to show you now, um, of the police uh, in Pride. Um, is it in Brighton? I can't even read what that says. Yeah. So this is mm. Brighton Pride, so this is police. And if you're listening on the radio, there's some police kind of dancing around. They're in their uniforms, they're dancing. Uh, some of them are waving pride flags. Some of them have got, like... Um, I don't even know what you call those things around the necks. I don't Land know what you call them. Oh, no, you mean garlands, the garlands. The garlands, garlands. garlands. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, they're dancing around in their flags and all the rest of it. Is that what the police should be doing? Absolutely not. I mean, this is actually a political protest. They've got political aims. They want certain laws to be enacted. I mean, the moment people... Who's there? there? Um, the, the people organising pride marches and the, the uh, NGOs that support it, such as Stonewall, Mermaids and things like this. Um, Stonewall wants conversion therapy to be banned. So that's a political position. So if the police are going to a march where people organising it have a political position, they are siding with a particular political position. They shouldn't be doing that. They should be there to police it, to make sure that nobody is committing an offence or nobody is uh, hitting each anyone or, or assaulting or maybe even dropping litter. But they should certainly not be taking part in the uh, Pride event, in the, in I don't the, the think march Pride at all. events are political. Uh, they're Absolutely not political. They, are. they, are, they want certain they're, laws. The whole point, Pride, is being proud um, of being gay, um, lesbian, or, um, you know, uh, uh, the people who are on that much. I mean, do you think the police should not be engaging in community? Um, 
engagement, if you like, in Notting Hill Carnival or something like that? Well, in Notting Hill Carnival, they should be there and they should be there to do the job of the police, which is to make sure people are safe, to make so sure they that stand no assaults there happen, make sure and no... they don't look like they're joining in. Well, absolutely. They should be on the side and they should be making sure that the people there are behaving themselves and not breaking the law. And if they're not breaking the law, they should stand back isn't and let the parade happen. Isn't but it they much certainly... nicer if the, everybody's just sort of, you know, it went off peacefully, everybody was happy, everybody joined it. The last thing you want is rows and rows of police standing with their arms folded or, you know, well, they, don't, they don't have to be there standing with their arms folded. Well, I mean, they, why, could, they can be discreet. But why is that offensive they should be to you? They can be discreet. Well, look, I'm making I the mean, point... About I'm making the point the about the, the Pride Parade. There are political positions. They want certain laws Some enacted. And the police should not be getting but involved in a parade like that. for a campaign. It's not like, you know, we're marching for this. They're marching to celebrate... But they certainly, police should certainly not be uh, wearing rainbows and, <laughs> and then perhaps uh, arresting people who don't agree. Maybe there's a counter-protest, for example, to something like that going on, and uh, they would arrest the people well, who are counter-protest. Well, homophobia is... You don't think the police should be dancing around, waving rainbow flags? You're Absolutely. saying it's almost community engagement. Yeah. It's Do a... you think that police then should be... So that was uh, an event to celebrate um, uh, sexuality... If there's an event to, say, I don't know, like a BLM march, do you think police should be kneeling in those... Pro in those I think it'd be hard to be kneeling if you were on a march, but I know what you mean. But, but the protests, do you think that police should that's be... That's a protest. Pride is not a protest. Pride is a celebration. That's the point So I'm is that your line? Make. The police can get involved if it's a celebration, but they can't get involved in if it's a protest. If a protest requires different... Um, uh, processes to get the to get the permissions that you need the licenses to have road clothes and things like that there is a difference between a protest and um, a march a celebration so you don't think pride has become uh, political at all no I'm not saying that Michelle I mean pride has obviously got political um, roots because if you think it is 50 years old this year um, and you think that it wasn't that long ago that homosexuality was a crime and you think of people like Alan Turing, you know, who killed himself having been chemically castrated and you think about the way that people have had to live their lives, um, you know, in the shadows, if you like. I mean, Dame Kelly Holmes was um, recently... Um, came out as gay and said she'd had to spend her entire life living a lie, but now she felt comfortable as coming out as gay. And I think that's a sign of a tolerant society. See, well, you tell me at home, then. What do you think? Do you think the police should be getting involved uh, in some of these events? I don't, by the way. I think that the police should be uh, getting themselves involved in policing crime. It would be a really good thing, actually, if rather than dancing around with garlands and whistles and being on their knees and doing on whatever it is at whatever event it is that they're at, riding the Dodgems, by the way, I remember um, the police, I think it was in Hull, in fact, I'm almost certain it was in Hull a few years ago, a big collection of them on the Dodgems at the fair. And I think it's awful. I couldn't even care less if you're on your break. Pack it in, be professional, because I think, actually, we need some respect, authority back in the police. They're not supposed to be your mate dancing mm. around to whatever it is that you're dancing around to. They're supposed to be watching you, Joe, making sure you're behaving yourself. Well, I would, your dance partner. It would be very interesting to hear, wouldn't it, if there's any um, serving officers out there about what they feel about it. But, I mean, just... That's a good point. Because... I'm going to a break now, but in a second, uh, I shall be back, and I'll be talking about the work ethic of kids, but Joe raises a good point. Are you 
Is there anyone out there, a serving police officer? What do you think to what you're hearing? Uh, do you think it's right that you should be getting involved in whatever event uh, is going on, if it's a celebration, Joe says? Or do you think that actually you should just be policing the event, which is more David's viewpoint? It is relentless, people talking about the police. Uh, we're looking, by the way, for someone who's a serving police officer. That was Joe's parameter. I want a serving police officer to tell me whether or not uh, you think it's right that police get involved in events. Uh, the short version of it is, in my inbox, you can testify this, it's like flying in. Mm. All of you pretty much are saying, no, they should police and not party. Uh, thanks to Michael, by the way, for sending me those images um, of the police on the... It was Hull Fair, I was right. Uh, it was Hull Fair five years ago. Crikey, do you remember that incident, by the way? All the police riding the dodgems and stuff like that. Uh, they say they was off duty, but what are you doing in your uniform then? If you're off duty, get your uniform off. Because to me, any time I see a police officer in uh, uniform, I think that you are representing the force. To me, you're a policeman. If I saw you in your tracksuit, you know, you're probably Dave from down the street. But for me, the differentiator is the uniform. If you've got it on, I think you should be acting professionally as a police person. Um, did you notice I said police person there, not mm -hmm. policeman? I probably would say policeman, but there you go. Would you? Police, <laughs> police person, is that a thing? It is now. Police officer is the easiest way, isn't it? Thank you, Joe. You're there, <laughs> look, to bring some intellect to this panel. I like it. Police officer is the word that I was looking for, not um, a police person. Police person. I'm going to make myself laugh. Right, uh, let's move on back onto my topic, shall I? Cost of living crisis. We've all just been talking about it, haven't we? We all know where it's at at the moment. Well, if you've got a child, uh, it's bad news for them as well because a third of parents have cut back on the amount of pocket money that they're giving their children. Uh, £4.99, in case you're wondering, is the average pocket money for under-16s. I found that very random, by the way. What, £4.99? Mm. What are you going to do with the penny? Save it for Christmas. Mm. Save it for Christmas. Um, anyway, it made me think, so it did, David, about the work ethic in kids, because a lot of parents, they use this pocket money to, to rope their kids into doing some chores and all the rest of it. And life's not what it used to be. I mean, there used to be a lot of saddy jobs, mm. uh, opportunities for kids to learn a work ethic. Where is it? Where's it gone now? Yeah, it's, it's tough, isn't it? But, I mean, there's a whole different economy now in, on, on social media and the internet. Some kids make money out of doing you know, Instagram or TikTok or uh, these kind of things. I mean, I wouldn't recommend TikTok, but, you know, YouTube or something, they, they do that, and this is a big thing. So there's other ways for kids to make money these days. But, um, you know, if, you, if you're a parent and you want your kids to have that work ethic, it's going to be tough for some people, but I think, you know, they're going to have to cut down the amount of money and the kids are just going to have to be a little bit happier getting their maybe 30 pence rather than 50 pence for a, for a task or a chore, but there's still ways you can do it. What about you? Where do you start? Well, I, I think, yes, I think it is a shame. I mean, Saturday jobs, I had a, a Saturday and a Sunday morning job in a local news agents, you know, and it was great um, because it, you, you felt as though you were earning quite a lot of money. You could spend the, the sort of the half day's amount on the, from the Sunday um, and it was... It felt important to go to work as a young teenager and those opportunities aren't around as much as they used to be, newspaper rounds, that sort of thing. Um, and I think the other thing is that it's actually quite hard for kids, um, unless it's a very obvious job, like a police officer on police a dodger, for instance, <laughs> um, or a hairdresser or a nurse or, um, you know, a bus driver, it's quite hard for kids, particularly little kids, to see what any of us grown-ups do for a living, because 
we, a lot of us are sitting in front of com computer screens. So mm. you could be a scientist, you could be a banker, you could be um, a journalist, you could be a, any number of things. And I think that exposure to work is really, really important. And it's quite hard um, for them to find those opportunities now. Um, so I do think the pocket money thing, I mean, when my kids were little, um, they got pocket money and they were expected to do things around the house because that's part of the sort of, you know, living together, the sort of communal thing. And I do know anecdotally from um, a hairdresser friend of mine that kids who have gone for Saturday jobs, a bit older, you know, 15, 16, they don't know how to put a kettle on, they don't know how to empty a washing machine. They don't know how to put a kettle I know. on. And you just Come sort of think... What kid aged, what, 14 years of age doesn't know how to put a kettle on? I've worked with grown-ups that don't know how to put a kettle on. I mean, there was a marvellous, whether or not it's true, there was a marvellous story last winter about a girl who'd gone off to university and her granny had given her a hot water bottle, which I think was rather sweet. And the girl had, had phoned her mum and she said, but I don't know how it works, I don't know where to plug it in. I mean, hmm. there's a word that I could use for that. I know. We've just been talking about be nice to everyone, etc. I'm not going to use it, but I just think, for me, it's like almost about it's just common sense. Yeah, yeah well, of where course. is the common yeah. sense? Where do you gain? Because also the other thing to this is we don't really use. I don't use cash ever anymore, never. Mm. So it's like the val, even the value of money. Like people are talking here about what pocket money you give your kids, what you used to get as well. It used to be like you learnt the value of money. Yeah. I do this, and then I physically get that. Yes. But now you don't even physically no, get and, that. And you could go to the it? post very... office, couldn't you, and put it in your savings yeah. account, yeah. get it out, and things. It's a like very that. recent thing. This is only yeah. in the last few years that people have stopped using cash because banks have made it so convenient just to use your card. You need to put the contacts well, on. Well, so interestingly, on. people but are going back to cash. Apparently, I saw in the It's very, today. it's very good yeah. idea. I think it's really important to go back to cash, and especially you know for kids like you're mentioning because they can actually physically feel it. There's something different about physically having yeah, the coins and bits of paper in your hand rather than just like a digital uh, number on your screen. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing. Well, I've, we've managed to find, we've managed to find uh, some people uh, that are serving, what, what did you say earlier, police officers. officers? About three people have written in and told me it's not uh, police officers, it's police constables. So we're both mm. wrong. I was saying police oh, person, right. Joe was saying police officer, but you guys are telling me um, that it's Well, they're not constable. all constables, are they? I don't know. There you go, that's what Joe says. You tell me that what... If you're writing in saying, Michelle, you're both wrong, it's constable. <laughs> Joe says that she's not wrong. Anyway, you tell me. Uh, Gareth says, Michelle, I am a serving police officer and I'm a member of the LGBT community and I have no issues with officers attending Pride events if it's for public engagement and reassurance purposes. Unfortunately, too many times recently, officers have gone too far and forgotten their purpose for being there and crossed the barrier of acceptable professional behaviour. See, you make a, an interesting point to me there, Gareth, because uh, what you're saying is, you know, it's public engagement and reassurance purposes. I'm fascinated to learn, what, what do you mean by that? Um, is it reassuring to see police dancing around? You mentioned the line of acceptable professional behaviour, and I agree with you there. Uh, Gareth... So, oh no, I've just read yours. I'll go again. John says, I'm a serving police officer and I hear all the political gestures. Happy to talk to people and be friendly always, but we shouldn't be there to take part. Uh, Andrew says, I'm a retired officer now of over 33 years. To me, the job of police is to police parades and not take part. How are you supposed to command respect when you are taking part? Uh, David says, it's all totally embarrassing. 
your hash. Right, that's all we've got time I for. I think we'll have to return to this one. Yes, we shall <laughs> return. Joe and David, thank you very much for your company. Thank you. At home for yours as well. Have a fantastic evening and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Co, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time. Thank you.